Welcome to Things to Think About. I'm Luca, and each episode, I sit down with Scott Commoners, professor of market design at Harvard University, to pick his brain about a specific topic in the world of crypto and Web3. I hope you enjoy, but more importantly, I hope you learn something. Morning, Scott. You ready to talk about some crypto? Heck yeah. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about interoperability. Just to level set a little bit and to start the conversation, what does interoperability mean to you? And what does it mean in the context of Web3? Cool, great question. So first of all, interoperability is a, you know, it's a technical term, but it's one of the nice technical terms that basically means exactly what it sounds like, right? You know, it's, it's inter and operate. Um, interoperability is the concept or, or feature of being able to cross connect and like, you know, sort of connect one platform or a, or a data structure or some information, you know, in many different ways and, you know, sort of to, you know, to many different purposes, um, typically around sort of a single technology standard, right? So you might've, um, so you might've heard of people developing for individual tech standards or, you know, sort of phones running on, you know, sort of a 3G or a 4G standard or something of the sort, you know, these are, you know, organized, well-defined technological blueprints, if you will, um, that lots of different types of technologies can be built for and plug into. And in the context of Web3, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of what we build lives on the interoperable layer that is the blockchain. And because things live on this, you know, this, this interoperable infrastructure layer, it's possible for lots of different programs and, and platforms to use the same assets as each other, just sort of like hot swappably, right? If, you know, you, um, you know, Twitter can point to them and look at your, you know, and, and see your profile picture, but OpenSea can point to them too. Um, you know, and somebody new who's building a, a virtual metaverse gallery can also point to the same sort of like layer of technology. Um, because the underlying tech is, is interoperable. It's not sort of proprietary or, or siloed in a single platform. And by contrast, of course, you know, lots of other technology we develop doesn't have this property, right? You know, we think about classical web two platforms, a lot of them store their data in a way that is totally proprietary. doesn't really make sense outside of the system. Right. So even when you take a full data export, it's really hard to make any sense or use of it because it just doesn't arrive in a format that is directly useful. Um, meanwhile, sometimes you see standardization. So you see many different platforms come together and sort of agree on a, on a, on a standard that makes the information interoperable in a way it wouldn't have been before. I think one of the questions that a lot of people have when we talk about interoperability is where you kind of draw the line in the real world outside of Web3, not to say that Web3 isn't the real world. But when we talk about things like 3G chips or 4G or 5G, that seems like a dominant design of hardware that kind of is built out because of manufacturing costs and, and just the efficiency it brings to the system. Whereas when we talk about things like data, it becomes a little bit more complicated. For example, like something like an API, does that count as interoperability, even though it's still kind of just a portal into a walled garden? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, um, things can be more or less interoperable and more or less portable than each other, right? And like often we find ourselves, exactly as you say, like in the case of cell phones, the reason we adopt tech standards is because it's so much more efficient to be able to have sort of a, you know, a single class of networks that many different manufacturers can plug into and, and send signals in the same way, right? Could you imagine how inefficient it would be if like every cell phone company had their own structure of cell network signal? Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, and, and they already have their own networks, right? Although they, they share them and, and there's a lot of like overlap in, in, in usage across different cell platforms. But like, you know, imagine they all had totally different signal encodings. Now, like, you know, presumably the companies that build the towers have to build ones that can manage all these different encodings. There's no way to, like, make an emergency call on somebody else's network if, you know, if you don't happen to be near your own network. Um, and indeed, I mean, there were, um, you know, there have been competing signal standards and so forth over time, and they lead to differences in physical manufacturing. Um, I remember... I used to have one of these cell phones that did not use a SIM card. I don't remember the type of network it ran on. But when I went out of the country, my cell phone provider would mail me a SIM card-based phone to take out of the country on short trips because my phone could not plug into the international networks. It was just a different standard. Um, so these things are often adopted for efficiency. Um, but as you say, in the context, say, of a platform that opens an API and lets new use cases plug in, sometimes you might also start creating some form of interoperability for the sake of creating a competitive advantage or, or making yourself sort of the center of an ecosystem. Now, importantly, in those contexts, this or rather, first I should say, towards your question, like, is this interoperability? I mean, yes, at some definitional level, it is, right? Interoperability is making different computer systems connect to each other or like making information usable across different systems, you know, sort of causing them to share the same architecture and the, and the same data streams. And so plugging into an API is, is interoperation, right? We're taking one system and making it interoperable with another. Um, but it's not open interoperability. Right. The big difference that we're that we're seeing in Web3 development is that this infrastructure is primarily open. In, incidentally, in the same way that many tech standards are open, um, but not like, you know, but the way that walled gardens are, are not, they're, they're walled. Somebody, you know, runs the garden and they control what can pass through the wall. Here, with an open interoperable standard, it's very easy for somebody new to come and like just build on it directly. They don't need anybody's permission. They don't need to sort of, you know, have the backing of some specific entity or intermediary. They can just build. And that's what, uh, you know, what, what happens when you have an open standard. And then the interoperability creates an additional layer of value, which is that I show up, I build on this open standard and now if I'm doing a good enough job, there's lots of content and network sort of architecture or um, yeah, network like activity, let's say, that you can plug into directly, you know, and, and that's, that's again, you know, it's like I'm launching a new platform. Think about the, the looks rare vampire attack on OpenSea. You know, if you want to launch a new NFT trading platform and you're really confident you can do it better than the incumbents, 
you can open up your platform and plug into the infrastructure and you know just invite people to transfer their content and trading activity over and and if you are in fact better than the incumbent then people will move um, that's much much harder to do when people don't have a way to move their their data or their digital assets with them right you know you sort of you need the interoperability and this sort of like portability that like lets you move your assets from one place to another by the way, just, you know, all the people listening to this as a podcast, uh, you know, I'm doing all this great gesticulation of like moving <laughs> a thing from another. And I, I, I know you're not seeing any of it. It's very imagine, visual. You know, so I'm making very big, visual. you know, sort of active hand motions here. Uh, you know, you know, the interoperability like makes it possible to move things just directly from one place to another. Uh, and the openness means that a new platform, you know, or, or an existing platform, you can just plug into the content network directly. That makes a ton of sense. I think something that I can draw immediate parallels to is like open source code. Um, yes. This idea that like once someone has written a piece of code that is functional, that's useful, and it's open source, anyone can kind of then use it to continue building um, or 100%. continue powering whatever they're using. But in this case, there's actual assets tied to it. Beyond, say, like currency or Bitcoin, um, mm -hmm. something that's like normally somewhat interoperable. Mm -hmm. What type of value does this add to an ecosystem when you are able to move, say, like NFTs or art pieces? Yeah. Um, what does that do for a consumer? And what types of opportunities and experiences does that unlock for them? Great. I mean, the short answer is so many. So first of all, as a consumer, when you have digital assets that could be used flexibly across many different platforms, you know, you can adopt the use cases for your assets provided by all those platforms easily, right? As it is today, you know, sort of pre-NFTs and, and sort of pre-Web3, pre you can use, a, you can take a picture and you can serve it on Instagram and you can serve it on Twitter and you can put it on your, uh, you know, Facebook wall. And you, you can do many different things with an image, but it's, I guess Instagram and Facebook are the same, but even there, they're not like perfectly integrated, right? You have to like, upload a separate copy of it in each place, like, and it sort of becomes like the, the data property of each of these platforms more, you know, sort of in, you know, in some shared ownership form with you. Um, you have to, you know, if it has metadata, you have to create the metadata every single time. Like you don't have sort of a central copy of that image that just everything else uses. And so one thing that's happening is just like simplification. It's, it's reducing the transaction costs. If now Instagram and Twitter and, you know, and Facebook and some third party like online, like art gallery or game can all point to like your sen single central copy of the image and extrapolate whatever they need from that. Here's the image, here's the metadata, here's the photo date, like whatever. You know, one thing is just, it's, it's simpler, right? You have a single set of digital assets that everything can sort of plug into and use. But it's more than that. Um, first of all, you can use things in new creative ways, right? People can provide services that are transformative to whatever asset you own, right? And we've seen this with derivative projects, right? Uh, maybe I have a really cool gaming artifact from, from some video game that I'm, I'm playing that I actually want to be able to display in my metaverse office. And somebody builds the the pipeline that that looks at what I have in this game world and like turns it into like cool like you know desk toy versions or something for my office or you know they look like um, you know 
things you might have gotten from ThinkGeek back in the day or something like that. And so people can build services directly on top of this layer that you can then interact with again, because you own the assets and they're formatted in ways that are sort of like portable and, and usable and composable. Uh, you can, you know, have people build new services that stack directly on top of them. It also means, incidentally, I mentioned this idea you know, of platform competition between LooksRare and, and OpenSea, but more broadly, if you're not happy with the services you're getting from a platform, you can just pick up and move. Um, and you know, there are contexts where we're more familiar with this. Uh, you mentioned currency. It's true, right? If you if you decide you're not happy with your banking service, you can withdraw all of your money and like move it over to another bank. Um, if you decide you're not super happy with your social media platform, these you know, in the Web two world, there isn't really a way to withdraw all of your content and carry it over to a different you know, social media platform, right? First of all, the platform might argue that they own a lot of the content. Um, but second of all, again, even as I said, even if you can extract it, it's not like there's sort of a natural way to load it up into some other platform unless they write some very complicated interpreter. Um, whereas in the Web3 world, you know, if a new platform shows up, you know, cost of portability is pretty low. The system's interoperable. If you're not satisfied with the platform you're on, you can just walk. You can like, you know, move your move your wallet's pointers to the to the competitor. And that creates a fascinating new competitive dynamic, which I think should, you know, it's early days and, and we'll have to see what happens. But uh, Christian Catalini and I wrote um, that we think it's going to do things that give more power to the consumer. Right, it sort of provides a strong incentive for platforms to actually like want to retain their consumers by investing in quality of service. And then I guess the, you know, the funny thing is, right, we're talking about a property. I was writing something where somebody told me that the word interoperability was jargon. And like, it was just non-standard outside of economics. And I was like, really? Like, doesn't everybody think about this? And the answer it turns out is no. Uh, I've known it for a long time. I'm sure brother, that doesn't. Sorry? I'm sure that doesn't happen to you a lot. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no, it's actually funny. Like you don't have any intuition for what is and is not jargon inside of your field. Like interoperability is talked about so frequently within economics, especially mm -hmm. among the people who study industrial organization and market structure. Um, you know, and, and or you know the economics of technology and innovation. That I really didn't know that this wasn't something that everybody thought about. Uh, and, and even more, you know, I learned about it before I became an economist because my brother was like involved in writing some big interoperability case study. Um, and so like, you know, I presumed, you know, it was, you know, it's talked about by everybody, isn't it? Isn't it the talk of the town? But no, but like, but consumers aren't familiar with the concept per se, but they're certainly familiar with the idea that like some types of information is harder to move from place to place and that service efficiency goes up when things are, are more portable. Right, so if you think about like Shopify uh, or any of these online shopping platforms, there's a hand or sort of shopping marketplace platforms. There's a handful of them where you create sort of an account with the platform. Uh, in fact, I actually don't remember. It's, it's like sh one, some of them do this, some of them don't. I don't I, maybe Shopify doesn't. It lets you create an account with each individual shop holder, but not like a master Shopify account that you plug into everything else. But like by contrast, like PayPal is like a master account that you plug in everywhere. If you have a master account that you can plug into lots of different systems, that saves you a lot of time. 
It makes it easier to engage in transactions with those systems. And it means that they don't need to go to the trouble of building a payment processing service, right? If I'm launching a new platform, I can just like connect to PayPal. And now I have a bunch of people who can like pay me directly without having to do any new work. Um, that's what interoperability means in the ordinary consumer experience. And the big change with Web3 is that we're going to start seeing that. In fact, we've already started seeing it with lots of different types of digital assets rather than just like access techniques like, you know, payment processing systems or password managers and stuff like that. I think <clears throat> to me, one of the most interesting aspects is, is something you touched on, which is this idea of your asset or whatever you have almost being like a key to a bunch of different transformative things. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes to like cultural objects, art, um, whatever NFTs are, <laughs> um, all mm -hmm. of these different things, it has the opportunity to open up, in my opinion, a creator economy built on other people's creation in part. This idea that like, if I have a brand that I really love that has a collection of 10,000 NFTs, I can build something for that community that takes those assets and modifies them, creates a new asset. How do you see this playing out for creators on the actual production or building side? Mm. So creators, well, first of all, one of the fundamental benefits of Web3 for creators is just that it gives them this entire space that they can access, right? That if you're entering as a new creator, you're not entering blind and you're not entering without a, a network, right? You can plug into the this massive network of, of people and this infrastructure layer that like gives you a way to bootstrap trust and all of these different features, right? You can just, um, so the barriers to entry are much lower uh, in some in some sense. But additionally, you know, towards this um, towards this question of how it's you know like how does that what does that mean in practice, right? Like that's the high level. You know, you're a new creator. You can show up. You can like mm -hmm. you know start like building and and you know, start creating NFTs or start creating some form of video content or whatever it is and like plug it into this ecosystem. Okay, fine. But like, what does that actually mean? It means that if you want to create something new, that's like sort of totally novel within the space, you still have technology layers that you can build on and a way to like plug it into everyone's experience of the space directly, right? You don't have to like launch your own, you know, totally new uh, ecosystem. You can sort of attach your ecosystem to the existing one. Or if you want to, in, in sort of an open sourcey way, like innovate on top of the existing ecosystem, you know, all you have to do is be able to plug into what's there, right? So if somebody um, trying to think of a simple, you know, if somebody wanted to do like you know transformative derivatives of NFTs, uh, all they need to do is you know, allow people to connect their wallet and, you know, and, and, you know, the wallet, you know, the wallet sort of displays which NFTs in the series they have, and then they produce them. So like a uh, simple example of this uh, around the holiday season, somebody in the chain runners community created a derivative project called the Santa runners, where for every chain runner NFT you had, 
you could mint, uh, I think for free plus gas, if I remember correctly, you could mint a copy of your chain runner with a Santa hat. And this was like, you know, this was on chain, right? Like, you know, it would read your wallet, verify that you had a chain runner and then use the CCO chain runner images and, you know, added a Santa hat, you know, via some sort of like hat positioning algorithm. Um, and like, that's a project you can build because all of the architecture is there. You don't need, you know, the chain runners community to give you access to the list of people who hold them. And you don't even need to pass through the chain runners community at all. It could be that like anybody in the chain runners community who wants can connect to your thing, which takes the, you know, their image and, and adapts it uh, with a Santa hat. And so that's very easy in some sense. It's like much easier to start out because you don't have as many individual barriers and layers to being able to like build whatever your derivative, uh, whatever derivative you want to produce. And at the same time, there's this massive sea of things you could be doing, could be connecting to, um, you know, whether it's building a direct derivative or just like, you know, providing something that sort of connects to an existing community, right? Maybe you're going to like, you know, create some sort of online forum that's only accessible to Thingdoms holders or something. Um, you know, all of that is just there and you don't have to do any special technological like adaptation, right? You don't have to like learn some, you know, platform API to plug into it. You know, it's the same language in which you're like just doing your project to begin with. Yeah, I think that's easily one of the coolest parts is that it makes it somewhat easier to build um, yeah. as long as, as you know what you're doing and, and the knowledge you invest in learning to build something carries over from project to project because you're operating with the same tools and the same ecosystem, which is not always the case in traditional like development or, or really building anything. From our conversation, it sounds like interoperability is great at adding flexibility, efficiency, um, and like creativity and community to this ecosystem. Is interoperability always a good thing? I mean, there's a first a question of like a good thing for whom, right? There are some platforms that benefit from being walled gardens. And while interoperability might be good, and indeed, right, I talked about like the competitive pressures that are created by interoperability and portability, like, you know, somebody loses in the context of those competitive pressures too, right? You might not, or at least someone could potentially lose, right? Like my personal view is that a lot of these contexts are going to turn out to be, uh, you know, net positive sum. Basically, the, the Web3 way of building is going to make many platforms in the long run more valuable than they could be in the Web2 mode. And so in that sense, you know, it, it might be a false economy to have a walled garden in, in lots of these spaces, right? Like it's possible that the, the value maximizing social media is actually one that shares a lot more value with the users. Um, but Leaving that aside, right? There are some platforms or, or you know, products that benefit from being, you know, cut off from everything else because they have sort of a, you know, an established network effect or other reason to to try and maintain their competitive advantage through, you know, locking down data and digital assets. The other thing, of course, is interoperability can, you know, pose security risks of different forms, right? You don't want to, um, you know, for the, for all the reasons, it's easy to launch a project in Web3 and it's easy to plug into an existing content network, it can also be really challenging uh, to figure out like 
who's building for real. And like, you know, it's, it's easy to establish trust because so much of the trust lies in, in the code and the architecture. Um, and yet, you know, sometimes that trust is too easy to establish, right? Like, you know, there are lots of, you know, malactors and, you know, one of the things that, uh, that, that having interoperability and sort of open development means is that people can arrive and build without being vetted in a way that often means that, you know, often has the advantage that people who wouldn't otherwise be able to like make it through the system and like get to the forefront can do so. But by the same token, right, like some amount of vetting and, and care about who has access to APIs and, you know, can actually be really important for, uh, you know, sort of preventing, um, you know, malactors. Right. You think about like if you're a if you're a financial services company, you're typically going to be again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I got to say at least once this episode. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm not a lawyer. But if you're a financial services company, presumably you're very careful about who has access to your mm -hmm. API. Um, and, and not just because, you know, not just for like reasons of like competitive pressure, but because, you know, you, you know, this is important for the security of your product. And so in that sense, you know, it's not, you know, interoperability is not strictly good. Um, but it often, even in contexts like that, when you sort of pair it with the right types of institutional infrastructure and oversight and so forth can, can still, I think like lead to, you know, more value on net. But it's it's you know it's 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 about how a combination of like having it and then deploying it very carefully. I was going to say, like many of our conversations, it sounds like it comes down to it's a gradient, and the real value lies somewhere in in a hybrid between the two systems that use interoperability when it's useful, when it does maximize value to consumers, when it does genuinely make products better. For example, being able to take your content from social media platform to social media platform, the interoperability of NFTs with marketplaces. But there are other places where interoperability shouldn't be the go-to, shouldn't be the gut reaction. Um, I think that's fascinating. I just wanted to thank you for the, joining me and, and having this conversation. It's always incredibly enlightening to hear your perspective on this stuff. So thank you. No, my pleasure. Thanks so much. It's always tons of fun. Stay thingy. <laughs> Stay thingy. I hope that conversation sparked some new ideas for you. It certainly did for me. If you'd like to connect with Scott, you can find them on Twitter at scommoners. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can also find me on Twitter at itslucawm. If you want to hear about a specific area of interest, send us a message on Twitter or Discord. We would love to hear your perspective. As always, stay thingy, do good things, and we'll see you next week.